if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. As we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 23rd morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Three big-time guests today. It's going to be very, very packed, so I apologize in advance. If you don't have a ton of time to be heard, take advantage of it when I offer it. Be ready to dial 216-901-0945 the moment that I tell you, because we are going to be slammed. Coming up in 30 minutes, we're going to be talking with Jack Windsor, Ohio's intrepid investigative uh, journalist who continues to cover the uh, COVID orders coming from Columbus uh, via the governor's daily press briefings or nearly daily press briefings. Jack Windsor will be joining us coming up at 935 to talk about the order of mandated masking all over the state of Ohio, what that means, and whether or not it's justified, whether or not it is supported by the data. And that's what this is all about is the data. Are we really experiencing a spike a surge, if you will, in cases. Is that surge dangerous and deadly? Meaning, are people being hospitalized at extraordinary numbers that puts uh, hospitals in jeopardy of being overrun? Remember the last time we had strict orders given in late March or mid-March, rather? It was because of the fear of overwhelming the uh, the health system and the hospitals. Is that truly what's going on right now? And then, of course, the deaths. Does the death rate, which continues to fall, matter to Governor Mike DeWine. So Jack Windsor and I will discuss that coming up at 9.35. At 10 o'clock, 10.10-ish, we're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper as we do each and every Thursday on AM 1420. The answer, Dr. Piper, is going to have a lot uh, to get into. Excuse me. He's going to have a lot to get into regarding schools. He wrote a column for the Washington Times this week about what schools are doing to contribute to the problems that we are dealing with in our society right now. And we will talk about also the mandatory masking and why churches Faith leaders are going along with this, these uh, mandates, these unconstitutional mandates that do indeed get in the way of freedom to practice religion. Why are they doing that? So Dr. Piper and I will talk about that. Then at 1035, 
Back to the red-green axis exposed. Our friend uh, Jim Simpson uh, is going to be with us with his guest for this week's red-green uh, red-green axis exposed national security brief- briefing. Brad Johnson, retired CIA operations officer and uh, multiple-time chief of station, is going to be joining Jim this week, and the two of them will join me at ten ten right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, but I'm going to start out. <clears throat> Kind of in a different way, but in the same way, uh, by talking about race. Not just the entirety of the race relations, the racial rioting, and the, the accusations, et cetera, et cetera. The police are systemically racist, that America is an institution, is systemically racist. This is going to be much more specific and much more particular. Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee for the Democrat Party, has taken the presidential race, which is now, what are we, 102 or so days away from the actual election? He has made this extraordinarily personal. Joe Biden has decided and declared during a town hall meeting that President Donald J. Trump is a flat-out racist. Yesterday, during a town hall event, a virtual town hall event organized by the SEIU, the Service Employee International Union, um, he declared that Donald Trump is just flat-out a racist. The context here is important, but it's not important. Here's the context. A health care worker during the virtual town hall expressed concern that President Trump continues to blame Asians for the coronavirus pandemic. Now, I'm going to pause right there because already we're in fake news territory. He doesn't blame Asians per se. The president has never blamed Asians, as in Asian people, as in this is the, pro- the fault of the people of China or the fault of the Asian American population here in the United States. It's not about Asians. It's about the Chinese government. The Chinese government was complicit in the spread of the Chinese coronavirus, sometimes called the Wuhan coronavirus, sometimes called the Wuhan flu, sometimes called the Chinese flu, sometimes, sometimes called the Kung flu. It doesn't matter. It's about the Chinese government. It is about the Chinese communists who misled and covered up the actual existence of and then spread of that virus from the rest of the world, allowing it to create a global pandemic. Holding the Chinese government accountable is the right thing to do. It's the accurate thing to do. But if you are in a race against Donald Trump, well, then you have to make sure to call it the racist thing to do. So... First of all, the question from the healthcare worker with the SEIU about the president continuing to, quote, blame Asians, that needs to be called into question, or actually needs to be uh, condemned, which I just did. But the answer was even worse. Biden signaled that he shared the questioner's concern that the president uses the term China virus, etc., and then said, quote, The way he deals with people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from, is absolutely sickening. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, 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 he said. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president has done this. We've had racists, and they've existed. They've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. End quote. 
Joe Biden declared that Donald Trump is a racist, and he's the first racist to ever try and to win the presidency. Now, there's so much to unpack here. I have to try to be careful with my time. First of all, the idea that President Trump is the first racist in the White House is nonsensible from the standpoint that there have been presidents who were slave owners, which we the, the left is quick to point out. We had a president who interred the Japanese population of America during World War II because they were Japanese. One might count that as being particularly racist, you think? We had a president who screened birth of a nation in the White House and resegregated federal agencies. We've had presidents who tried to undo the undo Reconstruction. We had a president who hated Brown versus the Board of Education and considered enforcing it the most repugnant act of his political career. We've had some presidents who have had a lot of racist tendencies in various ways, some worse than others. So the idea that he is the first one is just nonsensible, as I say, because of what we have had. But most importantly, the idea that Donald Trump is a racist at all is just laughable because of what Donald Trump has done for the minority communities in this country in his three three and a half years on the job. He has been spectacular in looking out for minority interests. He has been just stalwart in his work to help the black community to help the Latino community, and to help, yes, the Asian community and many others. And not just this year, because it's an election year. He's not just trying to pander for minority votes. He's been doing this since he got into office. Just listen, and and there's three points here. I think I said two. There's three. Number one, one was, you know, looking historically, we've had some presidents with racist tendencies. Number two is that Donald Trump is absolutely not one of them. Number three is that the guy making the allegation, Joe Biden, has a history of racism that is really, really unique in American presidential candidate history. This is the guy who gave the eulogy just ten short years ago at the funeral of one of the exalted cyclops of his chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. A guy who has defended his relationship with and support for segregationists during his time in the Senate. Throughout his 30 plus years in the Senate. A guy who has described busing black children into white neighborhoods as creating a jungle. And saying he doesn't want his kids to grow up in one of those jungles about one of the most racist things you can say about a black person or black people or black children in particular. So you got three massive elements here that I hope every American voter takes a very close look at. Joe Biden throwing stones from his glass front porch is beyond the pale. But saying it about Donald Trump is even worse. Tim Murtaugh is the communications director for Trump-Pence 2020. He responded to Biden this way. 
the president has a clear record of support, a clear, clear record of achievement in the black community. Uh, before the coronavirus crisis interrupted the great economy, it was an all-time low unemployment rate for black voters, historic funding for HBCUs, criminal justice reform. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is no one to be giving racial justice lectures to. This is a man who has bragged in the past about his great relationships with notorious racist senators from the past. He bragged about receiving an award for George Wallace. He eulogized the former exalted cyclops of the KKK, Senator Byrd. No one should be listening to a lecture on racial justice from Joe Biden. And it's the president, President Trump, who has a great record of achievement on behalf of black voters. And that is something that we're very proud of. Joe Biden, he knows he's got a problem with black voters. That's why he's needing to spend money to advertise to black voters, which Democrat presidential candidates never have to do. You remember what Joe Biden said last month, right? Telling a black radio host, man, if you're not down with me, you ain't black. And I'm paraphrasing that, but he basically said, if you even think about supporting Trump instead of me, you ain't black. Telling tens of millions of African-American voters that if you don't vote for me, you are a race traitor. You aren't really African-American, you aren't really race, you're not being true to your skin color if you don't vote for me. That is one of the most racially denigrating things I think that I've ever heard. One of the most racist, insulting things that I've ever heard. President Trump at his press conference yesterday was asked about Joe Biden calling him a racist. He responded this way. You know, it's interesting because we did criminal justice reform. We passed criminal justice reform, something that Obama and Biden were unable to do. Uh, We did uh, opportunity cities. We did the greatest. If if you look at what we've done with opportunity zones, uh, nobody's ever even thought of a plan like that. Uh, Prior to the China plague coming in, floating in, coming into our country and really uh, doing terrible things all over the world, doing terrible things, we had the best African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, almost every group was the best for unemployment. The unemployment numbers were the best. Uh, You look at, so you look at employment, you look at opportunity zones, and maybe most importantly, you look at criminal justice reform, you look at prison reform. I've done things that nobody else, and I've said this and I say it openly and not a lot of people dispute it, I've done more for black Americans than anybody with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln. Nobody has even been close. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. I love the fact that he literally dropped the mic and walked away after that line. I have done more for black Americans than any president, maybe since Abraham Lincoln. And you want to debate and dispute that, fine. The conversation can be had. But I will tell you this. He is in that conversation. Because everything he just listed was true. Historically high grants given to uh, the black and uh, the historically black colleges and universities. Lowest unemployment rate for African Americans. Freed more African Americans from prison with his uh, criminal justice reform. I mean, over and over and over again, you look at what he has done the creation of the opportunity zones, giving more and more African Americans opportunity, uh, career, educationally and career wise. And that's why prior to COVID-19, President Trump had a 34 to 40% approval rating among black voters, which terrifies the living daylights out of Joe Biden. 
And that's why he's got to restart the Trump is a racist routine. Now just over 100 days away from the election. It's 921. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 926. I'll get to a couple of phone calls here real quick, but um, I just got a text message from none other than Peter Kersenow listening to the program this morning. Of course, he is our regular uh, Tuesday guest and uh, did a phenomenal job two days ago, as he always does. But um, Pete, uh, Pete just texted me the following, quote, Bob, when I first met Trump, or excuse me, when I met with Trump the first time, his chief concern was improving the lot of blacks in America. If he's a racist, he's a very incompetent one. That came from Peter Kirstenau just moments ago, and I completely concur. Meanwhile, the man calling him a racist, his opponent, Joe Biden. Joe, I don't want my kids growing up in a racial jungle, Biden. This is what he said when there was talk about busing black kids into white schools or white neighborhood schools. I don't want my kids growing up in a racial jungle. He, he gets the pass. He's the, on the side of the African Americans. He is the one who is going to be the, uh, uh, the roadblock between the racist Donald Trump and a second term. Are you kidding me? All right, let's get a phone call from Beatrice, who's calling us from Cleveland on AM 1420. The answer, Beatrice, good morning. Go right ahead. Great, Bob. I'm so glad you took this call because I'm extremely concerned about the contact tracing that they've been soft-pedaling all along. I see in the latest Cleveland City Council journal that I got very disturbing language. And there's a little on the third page here uh, thing called Code Red Trademark. It's a little red triangle. And this is about a app by Google and Apple that I heard about, I don't use the internet, but I heard about this back in March, that they were preparing this app specifically for contact tracing purposes. Now, this is the city of Cleveland doing this. This is a clear conflict of interest as well. Code Red is a trademark. Sign up for Code Red Alerts to receive calls and emails from the city of Cleveland with important info regarding coronavirus, etc., Get mobile alerts by downloading the Code Red app via the Google or Apple Play stores. Um, this is about digital gulag, digital um, ghetto, get digital um, segregation by color, red, green, and yellow. If you're green, you can come and go as you're pleased. If you're red, you're in big trouble. Um, I think everybody needs to pay a lot of attention. This is the end game contact tracing and there's a lot of money on the table the finances Taft and Celeste and uh, Amy Atkin are busy orchestrating all this behind the scenes and uh, people better watch Um, this is the elephant in the room they don't want people to think about well let me say this Beatrice uh, and thank you for your phone call very important information you're sharing right now I don't think contact tracing is the end game I think vaccination is the end game. Forced vaccination, not voluntary vaccination, but forced vaccination to the point where you won't be able to travel or you won't be able to, um, you know, buy or sell or whatever the case might be. 
Uh, I think that's the end game. But contact tracing is a step toward that end. And I completely concur with you. The apps that they're developing, encouraging you to download. I have an iPhone. Um, you know, I won't apologize for it, even though I'm not necessarily uh, a huge fan of Apple. But um, we all have to have smartphones of some device, some sort to to kind of get by. And still undownloaded is um, update uh, iOS update 13.51. And that's because that is the update that does have the tracing app in it or the tracing uh, technology in it where it basically will track where you are, who you've seen, what other phones it has interfaced with when you go into certain places because the government's going to want to know if indeed you are positive for COVID-19 or suspected to be, and they will track your movements. It is wholly unconstitutional. It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment and probably a bunch of other things, and I still have not downloaded that app or that update. It prompts me about every three days. Here, download now, download now. Or just push later and we'll do it automatically while you sleep uh, overnight. So, yeah, the contact tracing is a very, very big deal. But I think the end game is vac- vaccinations, and we ought to be talking about these things. Beatrice, thank you. Appreciate that. We're going to get news now. And on the other side of the news, Jack Windsor will talk about the tiny dictator in Columbus telling you to strap that chain around your face or face penalties in the state of Ohio. That's coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 936 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. I told you we're loaded for bear today. Coming up at 1010, Dr. Everett Piper makes his return, his weekly visit to AM 1420, The Answer. Then at 1035, we're going to talk with Jim Simpson of Red Green Access Exposed and his guest for this week's National Security Briefing on Sunday. It'll be Brad Johnson, a retired CIA operations director, or officer rather, multiple-time chief of station. And right now, we go to our favorite reporter in the state of Ohio. The intrepid one himself, Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV in uh, Mansfield, uh, always working very hard to bring you the truth in between the lies and uh, misstatements of Governor Mike DeWine from the daily press conferences or press briefings. Jack Windsor, good to have you back, sir. How are you? Bob France, I'm super fantastic, sir. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm excited to talk with you and, and your audience. I love uh, when you're not just fantastic, but super fantastic. That means you're fantastic <laughs> with a cape. So that's even uh, it's even better. All right, Amen. Jack, uh, so much to get into here. Before we do the obvious, which is uh, Mike DeWine's order that I think most of us predicted was coming, which was a, a mandatory statewide ma- uh, masking, um, which, you know, had been in, what, 19 counties up to that point anyway in the little coloring book that the governor put together. Um, so we knew that was coming. Before we go there, I have not yet addressed very much other than stating the obvious, that Speaker Larry Householder has been arrested, along with former GOP, Ohio GOP Chair Matt Borges, along with Jeff Longstrath and a host of others, um, and that this situation might only be beginning, that there may be more people involved in this whole thing. Um, and I know, again, it's something that you are mining your Columbus sources for more information on. I wanted to see if there's anything you could share with us about what's going on. Sure, I'll, I'll do my best. And, you know, it is an ongoing investigation, as they mentioned during the presser when the U.S. attorney and uh, the special FBI agent talked. So some stuff is speculation, but, you know, what I'm starting to, to figure out is, and, and they mentioned this, so this isn't a surprise, but the way that this whole thing was set up, it, it appears that First Energy had dumped a bunch of money into 
what should have been a nonprofit organization. And then through that organization, uh, 21 separate um, representative, House of Representative political campaigns received some sort of funding. Now, that could be for commercials, advertisements, whatever. And then apparently um, there was an inducement that those folks and maybe other folks um, guys conspired, maybe right word, right. to uh, elect Larry Householder, the Speaker of the House. And the reason that's important in the allegation is that the, the belief is that that is what allowed House Bill 6 to be passed. And then when there was a referendum and, you know, effort to get it removed or reexamined, um, money that came from First Energy was used uh, aggressively uh, to market against that. And so that's that's the whole shoot and match now. So what we understand is that uh, there are at least 21 campaigns initially that they think were tied to this. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of door knocking, a lot of investigating. I am hearing that there are likely going to be additional arrests. Um, 26 people, is my understanding, had their uh, had their phone lines tapped. So this was, a you know, a lengthy ongoing investigation. And it raises two, two things. Um, one, if there is any impropriety um, in, in, on the part of an elected official, say, in the Republican Party, and they need to be removed from office, well, that leaves a really short window of time um, during which somebody else would need to step up, campaign, you know, so on and so forth. And so that creates a really sticky situation, particularly it seems that... Um, that's the case. It's sticky because the money that would be there um, by the the party to help fund somebody else or to help fund the person that maybe was implicated. And, you know, there's no wrongdoing, but the optics are bad on it. Uh, They've got a money problem. They've got a, you know, time problem, and they certainly have a a problem with optics. Now, what I'm also understanding is that um, there may be folks on the other side of the aisle uh, that were, I mean, certainly it took uh, Democrats voting, for the speaker to get him into that position. Mm-hmm. And I believe there were 26 who did. Um, there is some speculation, you know, was there was there some whipping up of, of votes and approval from leadership? And if so, mm-hmm. um, were those folks at all tied uh, to any campaign dollars? Or because um, when you think about it, right, 21 campaigns, uh, that's what they mentioned. But um, then I heard that there were 26 people. So, you know, there are five extra people. Who does that entail? Is that, uh, you know, some of the others that you mentioned that were arrested with Householder or, you know, does it uh, does it include leadership that maybe was not um, uh, running or didn't have a, you know, a race um, that they were vying for? We're talking with Jack Windsor, um, investigative journalist and reporter for WMFD TV in Mansfield, talking about the Ohio Republican uh, bribery scandal is the best way to call it, and right now we'll call it a Republican bribery scandal because those are the only ones who have been arrested, despite what you just said. Last thing on this before we get to the orders and COVID, um, Larry Householder has been a very vocal, one of the very few and very loudest critics of uh, uh, of Mike DeWine and his handling of all of this. And so some are wondering, is there a connection here to Mike DeWine in any way? Did Mike DeWine exert any pressure on the uh, uh, prosecutors in in uh, the Southern District in Ohio to move on this guy now. I got to get him out of my way because what I'm doing. Um, anything at all that you have heard or that you can report on that? I don't have anything that would be substantial that I could say. Yeah, you know that's a possibility. It's it's a lot of feeling uh, feelings right now because look, 
like it or not, the governor has decided to do what he wants. Um, he's, he's defied legislators. He's not listening to the judiciary in some instances. And now there's a growing number of constituents who are saying, wait a minute, the numbers don't add up. What are we doing here? The policy doesn't seem to match. So, you know, I, I get how you get from that point, you know, short bridge over to, you know, did he work to bring this guy down? We've seen things like this in the past, too, where, where folks are accused and, you know, there's due process. So that will take them out of the mix for a period of time. And then maybe on the other side of this, um, they find that, that there was no wrongdoing. But by that time, you know, the, the purpose is served. I, I don't know that that is the case, but I, I understand how people can can think that in their minds. I'm not seeing anything. Um, in fact, yesterday, some reporters asked some hard questions of the governor because he did take campaign contributions from First Energy. And uh, there was another report, I think, that manifested last night uh, regarding some uh, some inflow from a subsidiary or the new name of First Energy into some nonprofit organizations associated with the DeWines. So, um, you know, it, it could be that far-reaching, although he did say he's not been contacted by investigators, nor has anyone in his administration. I don't know that that absolutely absolves him of anything. They may still be digging. I don't know. All right, uh, Jack, let's uh, let's dive into yesterday's announcement, uh, mandating masks across uh, the state of Ohio. Uh, he said it's our fault. We didn't do enough. He, you know, he told us, he, he begged us, he cajoled us, he, he even, you know, kind of warned us, if you don't, that we are going to be like Florida, or we're going to be like, you know, another state that's dealing with a really bad time right now. He gave us all the opportunity to voluntarily wear masks, and now, you know, like the bad children that we are, now we've got to take our medicine because we didn't do what he warned us to do the first time. So now it's 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 must do under penalty of law. Um, does the data, Jack Windsor? Nobody digs inside these numbers. Nobody goes to the dashboard. Nobody pulls out the calcul- calculator and does the math on percentages of positive positive tests on R nots on. Um, all of it, really, uh, the, the decline in the death rate, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody does it quite as well or as often as you do. Does the data support the governor's move, the strictest move that he has put in place since the actual shutdown ordered in mid-March? No, no on two fronts. The first front is, remember, our commitment was to flatten the curve and, and ramp capacity. And he said yesterday... Uh, you know, th- this is pretty much a plateau, but I don't, I don't really want to say that because I don't want you to let your guard down. Well, not only is it, a, it is a plateau. When, when you really assign the right um, value to the current times. So, so the administration has this bad habit of they'll, they'll talk about what's reported today and they'll, they'll reach back into the bucket of data that could include November of last year, December, January, February, March of this year, and they'll pull those numbers forward. That doesn't indicate what's really going on. So when you look at when the, the illness was onset, when somebody was checked into the hospital, or when someone actually died, um, not through contact tracing that you find it out, but when you do those numbers, they're, they're significantly lower uh, on every level. So no, it really doesn't, when we talk about ramping capacity, that was our initial commitment. It certainly does not make sense at all there. And, you know, the, the trend is cases are increasing because we're testing more, but uh, there's a disproportionate increase in hospitalizations. There might be a slight uptick and deaths are, are, you know, on the downtrend. They have been for a long time. But here's the problem with that. We, I've, I've kicked this horse to death, but it's important to remind everybody mm-hmm. the the definition of a case is pretty darn uh, wide. I mean, it can include someone who didn't even test and they just have some sort of COVID-like illness 
they have two symptoms when they call their telehealth doctor. Uh, it can include somebody who is uh, tested and they have the antibodies, so that goes into probable, which feeds into the total number. We know that these tests have false positives. You've reported, I reported even, I think, the people who go to these sites, they sign, sign in, they have a two- or three-hour wait, they leave, and then they get notified that they've tested positive. And then you jump over to hospitalizations. There are people who are counted COVID uh, hospitalization or counted as COVID hospitalizations who are there for delivering a baby. They get tested and but all of a sudden they're, you know, it's a COVID hospitalization. And it's it's disgusting this one. Uh, you know, the, the CDC definition of death includes people who die from COVID and people who die with COVID. You know, I just heard two more yesterday, one a, a breast cancer death and another one uh, a motorcycle accident both clearly not COVID deaths, but they will be counted as COVID deaths. So these definitions are wide, but even when you apply them, this is not an epidemic level. So no, the order and the mandate does, I mean, that's a policy that does not match where we're at. Jack Windsor is our guest. He is a reporter for WMFD-TV in Mansfield. And again, we're talking about Governor DeWine's orders yesterday that everyone must wear masks. Do you think that this is, here, here's the way I've been watching this, Jack Windsor. Um, he kind of teases what he's going to do ahead of time. Um, he yeah. did it a week, over a week ago when he uh, had his little 530 thing saying, please, everybody, we need you to don your cape and don your mask because this is what it's going to take. Uh, the next 30 days are going to be determined by what you do here. And I think that was the tease for a mask mandate is coming. Now, today or yesterday, the mask mandate is here, and he says the next 30 days, what the fall looks like is going to be determined in the next 30 days. He said, you know, we want schools open, we want sports to be played, blah, blah, blah. It's all going to be determined. Every time he says it's going to be determined by the next X days, when that time ends, he says you didn't do well enough, uh, and then he, and then he, you know, he shuts things down, or he is going to, you know, institute another stricter, uh, order in place here. So do you think, and this is speculative in some regards, Jack, but you're also experienced in reading this guy because you see him on a regular basis. Do you think that this is setting up uh, the closure of schools a month from now, less than a month from now when they're supposed to reopen? I do for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you look at the mask mandate, there are exemptions. Children under 10, anybody speaking at a religious service, people eating and drinking, people working out, those, those who are unable due to medical reasons emergency personnel, individuals with a disability, and individuals communicating with people with a disability. So that's a pretty wide swath of people who, if they don't want to wear a mask, they don't have to wear a mask, and you can always point back to that, right? Um, and the other thing that he's doing, um, which he's done a lot, is he's stalling. We're getting so darn close where, I mean, look, if you're running a school district, you need answers. You need to know what in Hades is going on so that you can uh, apply the appropriate policy. Some schools are getting impatient, and they're going, look, we're, we just don't have time. It's learning. Um, and then the ones that do go back, it's this mixed bag of, you know, two days off-site, three days in the school. But the way that it is written, and we should probably talk about that another time, do a special episode on, on education and the way that that policy is written. If one person gets sick, they shut the whole thing down. Um, yeah, I, I think it absolutely is. And I think what it's going to be is this, this mask is a placeholder, right? It's, well, if we get to the fall, if you do what's right, well, look, and it, keep in mind, he created his own advisory system that has no, it does not give an indication that this virus is actually alive and thriving in the community. It just says, hey, these are things that could, could happen. And so who's to say that he's not going to create some other system or statistical analysis that then would say, hey, you know, we've had a problem. These schools have shut down. Obviously, this illness is still an issue. Until we get this vaccine, we're going to have, I mean, it's just everything is tied, right? How, how did we get from flatten the curve and ramp capacity to 
We're now in the fall, and we're talking about schools being closed. Uh, there's already talk about certain counties doing mail-in balloting because they can't get poll workers. It just doesn't add up. So, yes, I can absolutely see that this will be something that he will leverage for whatever his end goal is. It's, the end goal is not the virus anymore. I know that makes people mad when I say it. I've been around enough to see it. Um, I've, I've looked at the numbers. This is not about the virus being eradicated. This is about some other end game. And to me, it feels like, uh, you know, a vaccination. Jack, I've got to get a time out here. Can you come back on the other side for about three, four, five more minutes? 100%, yes. Jack Windsor will answer a couple more quick questions about this as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, uh, we continue now with uh, Jack Windsor. Uh, just a few more minutes left uh, after the, the governor's order yesterday to make ma- uh, masking mandated throughout the state of Ohio. You talked in your answer to my question about whether or not the numbers um, justify this order, and you made it very, very clear on two major points, no. But you also mentioned, once again, what a case is. Um, and, and he made a point during one of his... Uh, um, briefings one of his speeches to say that a case is not is is one person that one person is not being called counted multiple times this despite the fact that somebody in his administration and i think you said it was his press secretary who declared that yes uh each positive test is a new case even if it's for the same person so do we have any confirmation or clarification about who's telling the truth here the governor or his staff yeah, yeah and i want to i want to make sure so the press secretary actually said um, multiple tests roll up into one case. We heard some conflicting information from someone inside the administration, not the, not the press secretary. Okay. Uh, and then right at about that time, Laura Ingram's story on Fox broke. It talked about uh, someone in Mahoning County who had fifteen had tested positive fifteen times, and they believed it was counted as fifteen cases. As I dove deeper into it, there was you know just inconsistency, and in the press secretary and the governor they were both able to stand up and go no. This is what it is. We 100% stand behind this. We are deduplicating the information. I can test positive multiple times, but they're deduplicating it. They're telling me when they put it into the system. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt there. They're, I don't know how they're doing it. They're not, they're not explaining the process, um, which I think is a shame. Um, but as it stands right now, multiple tests roll up into one case. That's okay. Fine. That 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 is important to know because again we're getting a whole lot of misinformation and quite frankly what you pointed out before about people in the hospital for various things uh, are being counted as COVID hospitalizations even if they're there for a scheduled uh, per, you know surgery or or other kind of a treatment or 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 elective procedure whatever the case might be uh, and then I have stories in front of me too not not this one is not necessarily from Ohio but of people being uh, diagnosed positive without ever having taken the test, as you pointed out. And in one case, in Katy, Texas, I was just talking to some people from Houston down there, uh, in which they got it wrong. They they took her test, or excuse me, gave her a test and gave somebody else, a total stranger there, a test. Uh, the stranger was positive. Uh, this woman was negative, but they called her and said, you're positive, too. It looked like an honest mistake. Uh, that they thought it was the you know the same person, uh, but the fact is that it was a mistake. And if there's one that makes the papers, how many of them do not? Um, the, in other words, the numbers are completely unreliable, and that's the the thing that that uh, Governor Dewine will not point out. Jack, my last question for you has nothing to do with any of this. Okay, but I wanted to follow up on our conversation from Monday. 
Um, the New yeah. York Times wrote an article about you, a kind of a kind of combination article about you and Alex Berenson, who used to work for yep. the New York Times, trying to discredit both of you because you have both been very stalwart in your reporting uh, in trying to um, de-emphasize some of the hysterics that they are trying to uh, promote when it comes to the danger of this virus. Um, you believe that DeWine's office gave the New York Times your number, which is really, really extraordinarily um uh, it's astounding to me. Um, you know, you're a thorn in his side, and then so he enables the New York Times to contact you to her, perhaps uh, do this hit piece on you. And the New York Times did indeed do a hit piece. And I asked you on Monday if there was anything you wanted to clarify or anything you wanted to rebut in the story, which was filled with, as you said, out of context, half truths, etc. And you said sure. there was one thing you wanted to do. Uh, and I'll let you do it as generally or specifically as you wish, but I wanted to give you a chance to do that. I appreciate that, Bob. I will first say that, uh, you know, one of the silver linings in the cloud is Alex Berenson and I were able to connect. So that's Good. extremely positive. Uh, we'll, we'll be hopefully sharing some information. But, you know, uh, public records are public. We need records, to share, we need to share a conversation is what we need to have. The, a three-way conversation. I want you both to come on the air at the same time and we'll do an hour I, together, the three of us, and we'll really expose this stuff. Oh man, it would, that would be fantastic. I will run that up the flagpole. Definitely. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, so, oh no, no worries. So, you know, a lot came out. And here's the problem. Uh, you know, as a journalist, you can half-truth stuff, you can position stuff, you can slant stuff. And, and that's absolutely the case. Um, everything that was any, in any way derogatory certainly was slanted and was not given full context. Um, you know, I, I went through a divorce, and that divorce was extremely messy. And as is often the case, um, you know, in a, in a divorce proceeding, both, you know, both parties make a case, and, and um, you know, both attorneys recommend things. And uh, it, I guess what was disappointing is that that story reached into one aspect of that of that divorce situation, and really tried to trumpet something to make me look like the bad guy. Right. And it's it just lacks context, and it's not true. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I guess it hurts me from the vantage point of the people who know me know. Me. But um, I, you know, it's just there's such a responsibility that comes with the power of the pen. And uh, I, would, I was really disappointed that it was uh, laid out the way that it was. Um, you know, the, there was an order. And, look, the order uh, was not what the order was portrayed to be. That's, that's really all I want to say is that the order was not what the order was portrayed to be. And, um, and it's just a shame. Um, but I, I've, I received a ton of uh, positive feedback um, because it is what it is. I did not give the interview, which means that everything that was written, that was already framed up. That was the mindset coming in, and if that doesn't tell you um, what the purpose was, and I, I'll ask the question again, why in the world is the man who broke the story on the Steele dossier, which <laughs> imp- uh, implied that Donald Trump you know, had illegal dealings with the Russians, why would he come from Manhattan to Columbus, Ohio, to interview me? I mean, that, that in itself, if that doesn't tell you that there is some <clears throat> inner network of things that makes what's going on in Ohio, bigger than Ohio, I don't know. There, There's a lot of stuff that is covered up that needs to remain covered up, and somebody who is doing some uncovering needs to be silenced. That's why they sent somebody to, to Ashland, Ohio, to come after somebody named Jack Windsor. And, uh, Jack, we'll follow up on that another time. Thank you for your great insight on everything from Householder and that investigation uh, through the governor's order yesterday. Uh, I really appreciate all the great work you do. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Bob. God bless you. That's Jack Windsor on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take our time out for news now. We'll come back, and Dr. Everett Piper joins us on AM 1420, The Answer.